This is for all the girls who grew up without strong geek role models to help them discover their geek dreams. For everyone who's ever been quizzed about their video game knowledge because girls have plenty. Geek Hearing is working to bring female identifying geeks into the prime to be the role models, dreams, and voices. About to show these boys how we do it. Higher, further, faster, baby. It's not about deserve. I'm not an owl! A girl has no name. There is something supernatural at work here. It's about what you believe. Did I stop on your mom? The Guardian Leviosa. From now on, you do as I do. May the odds be ever in your favor. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? Welcome to Geek Herring, a critical geek culture podcast where we talk the good and the bad parts of being a chick in a male-dominated environment. Hi, I'm Amanda, and with me today is my lovely, awesome, amazing, and Austrian co-host, Monica. Hi, Monica. <laughs> that is so nice that you brought my nationality right there on the point. I usually lead with that, but yes, um, the country of schnitz schnitzel and dumplings, that's where it's all about and what it's all about. Exactly. I just, I felt like bringing that to the forefront because like you say, you always lead with it. So yeah. I was like, just, just really jumping the gun there, uh, beating you and yeah, just, what am I supposed to say now? <laughs> I have, I have no topic, which is, I wrong. know what you can say. Yeah. I know what I can say. We have an amazing episode today. You know why? Why? Because we have a guest on. <laughs> Hi, Kitty Crawford. Welcome to Geek Hearing. We're so excited to have you. Thank you so much. It's nice to be here. Yay. We are so, so, so excited. I know Kitty um, from the Northern Irish game developers community. Um, there's like a, a small group of indie developers who all hang out and I try to poke my head in and be like, can I hang out even though I'm a community? <laughs> um, and like, it's kind of working. And... So in honor and celebration of Love Indies, which is a celebration of indie games for uh, the first, is it 10, 14, 10 to 12 days in June, we're celebrating indie games. And we thought, what better way to celebrate than actually get an indie producer on to talk about what she does. Cool. <laughs> I almost forgot it was Love Indies this month. <laughs> I know. I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of shit going on. I totally oh, haven't God, even focused on this. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think anybody can blame themselves for forgetting about this right now. But oh no, uh, but yeah, cool. Yeah, I'm I'm very happy to be here. Um, as you said, I I am an indie game producer. Uh, I started in Belfast, Northern Ireland. I now live in Canada, um, but I still work with all European companies, which is not good for my sleep schedule. But Ooh. I deal with it. <laughs> oh no. I already feel very sorry for you. <laughs> uh, I'm, it's it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Um, when I get into a routine, I'm fine. But if anything knocks me off my routine, it's a it's a long day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But um, it's so, fun, though. How far behind are you now, time-wise? Five from UK, six from a lot of the rest of Europe, or the teams okay. that I work with. Because I work with currently, I'm working with a team in Germany um, and uh, another client in the Netherlands. So they're six hours ahead of me. I'm I'm six hours behind. Okay. And then I'm working with a team in Belfast as well. So they're in five hours. So that's not so bad. Okay. So basically, when you get up at seven, no, when you are about lunchtime, they start to eventually maybe work. 
No, other way around. Other way way around. The other way around. So I wake up and it's nine o'clock for me. It'll be about two, three p.m. for them. Ah, okay. It's like when Tom and I go to Canada or Florida, Monica, and we're trying to talk, and you're like, "Oh my god, you're six hours behind us." (laughs) (laughs) So you're basically freelancing for various indie companies. Then is that correct? Yes, yes. I've done lots of different. Like I've done some full time. Uh, roles and I've done some part-time roles but at the minute the freelance thing is working quite well for me um and I'm able to kind of split my time between multiple companies so nice I do still do uh I'm also a web developer and I still do that on the side as well so <laughs> I'm I'm wrapping up one website and I'm helping another I'm helping a music guy who works in games do his website as well nice so. Those ones are they're less time dependent though. Like I don't have to be around for a certain time. Whereas when I'm working with uh, companies, I I have to be like there at certain times. But yeah, mm. it's good fun. Can I ask Kitty how did it come that you moved to Montreal um, and then are still working with all the <laughs> yeah. Canadians? Um, so how'd that happen? In 2018, me and my partner decided to go traveling for a while, and that was when I first went remote. Uh, so we traveled a bit around Europe and a bit around Asia and I was, I'd been working with a team and we just released a game whilst I was working in, uh, Belfast. And when I started to travel, they wanted to still work with me. So I kept working with them. And then another, I I picked up another contract with a company in England that they were just all remote anyway. So that worked out really well. Um, we traveled for nearly a year. And we decided to that we wanted to stop and settle down. But my partner is Canadian. So <laughs> Okay. Yeah, the reverse the reverse Amanda. It's the reverse, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um we we uh we he's actually from Kitchener, which is in Ontario, which is a completely different uh, area to where we are now. I love it. Yeah. Um but uh it was either a choice between we wanted to go somewhere where there'd be a career for me essentially or jobs and it was either Toronto or Montreal um we didn't want to go to Vancouver just because it's so much further away plus you kind of lose the advantage like five hours or six hours behind is kind of dealable but if you're going to Vancouver side it becomes even less manageable um but I got a job in Montreal I was applying for jobs and I got one and so I moved we moved to Montreal where I started a full-time job where I worked for about two months uh, before I quit. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> right, guys. Uh, and then from there, like that next year was very turbulent uh, and a lot of other personal stuff happened. But when I settled down again, um, it was kind of just happenstance. There's a, a UK game dev Slack that I've been part of since its inception and, and constantly networking and talking with people in there. So I picked up a job from there that was actually... Part of the team was in America. Part of the team was in London, and part of the team was in Australia. Wow, that was interesting. <laughs> what a combo, wow, time yeah. wise. But that that title still hasn't actually come out. It's finished. It's ready to go. We're just waiting for Apple to get the finger out and like release it. <laughs> um, but yeah, like that that one's hopefully coming out soon. But yeah, from there, it kind of when I worked in Belfast, I I made a lot of connections. I was. Uh, I was the chair of Games and I for two years uh, back whenever it was kind of early and 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 hadn't really 
been that well established yet. So I got to know all the companies really well. So the me working with some companies in Belfast kind of just makes sense because I still know them all quite mm-hmm. well. And, and I and I worked with them for a long time and made a lot of good connections and relationships there. Um, the other ones, Des is a really old friend of mine. Um, whenever I first started in the industry, that one, that one's that one came through him being my mentor for like nearly all of my career. Um, so he spent a long time listening to me on the phone, being like, "Please help me, Des. I don't know what to do." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, so like a, a while ago, Des, uh, whenever Des first said he wanted to work with me, he. Um, uh, he said that it was because he trusted me. And I was like, well, of course you trust me. You've seen all the shit. Like, <laughs> you, you know what I've done and all the mistakes I've made. So, like, you know what you're getting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then the the one in the Netherlands ca- came through Twitter. So oh, nice. all, all random places. Like, I'm the sort of person uh, that kind of has lots of fingers in different pies all of the time doing what they like to call the hustle, which I hate that word. But yeah, yeah, constantly just like, I I would go to a lot of conferences all the time and I I would meet a lot of people. And when I got to Montreal, I I kind of inserted myself in the indie scene very quickly and and got to know a lot of people. So um, I've always found that just getting, especially if you're freelance, but people know you not just for what you do, but for who you are. Mm. Um, and getting yourself out there and meeting people is the best way that I've found getting jobs um, uh, in the way that I pick up contracts. Um, so yeah, that's high. <laughs> Maybe one day I'll have, I'll, I'll, I'll live in the time zone that I'm working in again. <laughs> How will you deal then with a normal, regular day time and all? No, right? Honestly, there is something really nice to be said. Whenever I was working a bit more full time with another company, there was something nice to be said about starting at six, but then like wrapping up at two. And then the rest of the day was mine. Like that's actually a really nice feeling. Um, And I still do it sometimes just because it makes my day feel nicer. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Not always possible if I haven't slept well the night before, which happens a lot. <laughs> you mean 2 a.m.? No, 2 you mean 6 in the morning and yes. stop at 2 a.m.? 2 p.m., 2 p.m., yeah, yeah, yeah. 6 a.m., 2 a.m., no. Yeah, some people like to work like this. I would totally That's true. probably yeah. be one of them, I guess. Yeah. Um, when Tom and I are in North America, he's uh, he's always enjoying working five hours behind because he, it's like – by the time work over here is done, he's like, oh, look, I've got the rest of the day ahead because I don't have any clients that are still in work. So what am I going to do? Nothing. <laughs> Shall I? I do yeah. know there, when there is times where like, say uh, I'm working behind, but I'm, I'm working at, just at a normal, like nine to five. I do kind of like that all of my conversations happen in the morning and then there can't be any kind of conversations yeah. that happen the afternoon because everyone else is gone so I get lots of stuff done <laughs> yeah that is true nobody bothers me like having this conversation like taking out time of the day to have conversations with people and clients is just sometimes really such a waste of time I mean not really but it takes away so much productivity yeah. and you can't start and finish something and then you feel all over the place and that's just really annoying at times so I totally feel you on that when you're like yay party hard yeah. no yeah. calls can do what I want awesome yeah. oh. cool so I think that covers who you are 
Yeah. So, yeah. So too. <laughs> Do we want to move into our rapid fire round and we can get all that information going? When are you a geek since? So maybe a year or a story of your first geeky experience. I have a picture of me when I'm eight years old holding my very first PlayStation. Aww. Because my brother had got a PlayStation when I was seven and he had got Final Fantasy VII, and I had become addicted to it, and he'd got sick of sharing his PlayStation, and so <laughs> my mom got one for me so that I would stop hugging nice. him for his. Um, so, yeah, there's there's this tiny little skinny child with hair covering her face because she doesn't know how to do hair, walking in and being like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> Definitely didn't expect to get that. Um, we were not a rich household. <laughs> it yeah. makes it sound like we were, but we were not. Um, so, yeah, that was then. Uh, I got that and Broken Sword. So I was oh. very young. Oh, Broken Sword is the one that I talked about last week where Tom told me that it's Broken Sword, the one with the blonde archaeologist guy. Yeah, George Stobart. No, he's a lawyer. He's a lawyer? He's a lawyer. Broken Sword. Uh, I'm pretty sure George Stobart is a lawyer. Um, And Nicole, uh, Nicola, uh, she was a journalist. Yeah, I do think that's still Because he was on holiday in France whenever he got blew up at the start of the game. Yes, so I... um, Yeah, yeah, that's the one. I've had the pleasure of meeting George Cecil. No, Charles Cecil. George Cecil. I'm getting mixed up with George Stobart. Charles Cecil, who's one of the uh, co-directors of Revolution Games. Um, And the first time I met him was because he came over to do a talk in Belfast. Um, And I had brought... I brought my game with me and everything. And I just, Aww. at the start, I was like, I really love your character. <laughs> uh, no, he actually works with some of the developers in Belfast. He works with Kevin Beamers at Italic Pig quite often. But um, every time he comes to town, I'm like, sure. Like, I still, like, I don't lose my cool a lot, but I do with Charles. Uh, yeah. And his wife is lovely as well. His wife's actually from Ireland interesting Ooh, is that why he comes over more often i don't think so <laughs> <laughs> but that broken sword was one of those ones that me and my mom played together growing up so oh, we nice. uh it would be the game that we would sit down and play together and it was a real bonding experience for me and my mom so it's one of those games that just has a real uh spot in my heart because of that Aww. i think it's such so, so many beautiful stories of playing it with family members it's so uh, yeah. warms my heart <laughs> I think I think that's Tom saying, did you get stuck in the goat puzzle? Of course I did. <laughs> I was eight years old. Of course I did. <laughs> we actually got stuck at one point. Um, I think I, I might be Broken Sword 2, where you go to the island and there's the old women that are stopping you from getting into the museum. And trying to get into the museum, we got stuck. And we didn't have a PC then. So we... we um, we phoned the helpline, you know, back when there was the phone <laughs> helpline, and we phoned the helpline to try and like get the answer for this goddamn puzzle. But yeah, so yeah, that, that those are my first experiences. I do remember it wasn't me, but I remember was it the year before or the year after? The year before that, I remember my mom playing Tomb Raider and watching her play Tomb Raider and just like not seeing her for a month. <laughs> nah. And so I think I know where I get it from. <laughs> Oh, so your family's also quite geeky as it sounds. Just my mom. Just your mom. Not the rest of them. Yeah, I think that's why me and my mom kind of like have an understanding in that sense, whereas the rest of my family just don't. They they didn't get it. They get it more now. They didn't get it then. Aww. 
but it wasn't it wasn't culturally appropriate back then like we were the odd ones Mm -hmm. out being all into stuff like this i had boyfriend online when having a boyfriend online wasn't cool oh yeah (laughs) you're definitely weird when you don't like doing stuff i I had one online boyfriend when i was 15 16 it didn't mm, no it didn't go well Uh, yeah i mean not surprised like looking back now i'm like yeah i was 16 it lasted four and a half years we were two thousand kilometers apart of course it didn't work out but never mind yeah um scott just said there but kitty we've never seen you do anything like that remembers the final fantasy 7 remake release never mind i uh i completed it in less than a week i think in like 40 hours you're my kind of person (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was it was yeah I, and that was me trying to go slow. I wasn't. I was trying to keep myself slow. I was purposely taking breaks and exercising, and I was like, and I finished it like first or second in our wee group, and I was like, whoops. I have almost six hundred hours in Animal Crossing. I can't say anything to that. Nice, well done. She's doing a lot better than me. I'm like maybe pushing 150, but yeah, we we know the binge. Yeah, I. uh I haven't played Animal Crossing, but I did put 60 hours into Stardew Valley the first time I first week I played it. <laughs> yeah. And I streamed it as well. And like yeah. I it was whenever so me and Scott know each other because we used to do uh we used to be part of a like a team called Ready Up and we used to stream together uh back in the day. And so I'd stream me playing uh uh Stardew Valley and <laughs> I'd start streaming at like six in the morning. <laughs> nice but then they'd come on and they'd be like okay but the thing is there's people there and they're watching at six in the morning (laughs) (laughs) anyway it was good times i think that answers the geek question yeah that's not we're not good with the rapid fire round this time no they're like longer than the stories are so great (laughs) yeah yeah so what are your biggest geeky influences? So you can think like books, movies, TV shows, teachers, games, your mom, anything else that comes yeah, to mind? Yeah, my mom's definitely, my mom's my influence in life in terms of how I approach things. Like um, my friends nicknamed my mom female Chuck Norris a long time ago. <laughs> I love her already. <laughs> because my mom, yeah, my mom is a, a goddamn powerhouse. Just can't, um female Chuck Norris she's the woman you want on your side let's just put it that way um and I try to channel her I think I do an okay job of doing that sometimes but at the same time like my mom is also very compassionate and very giving and very caring so she's just like all round uh good human being that I try to to channel when I can uh in terms of other influences um yeah it's funny because how how I got into games was kind of happenstance, but the sort of influences of my life or the, or the things that have influenced my work have all been the, all fantasy based. Like I, like obviously I was just raised on final fantasy games and broken sword games. Um, later on, like I just would consume fantasy novels mm-hmm. Um Harry Potter, although that comes with its own tar these days, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it is a complicated relationship. Um, anything like, you know, uh, the Chaos Theory books or the Magician's Guild books or 
um his dark materials like any of those kinds of books were like big influences on me um uh and i've just huge on fantasy movies and tvs and tvs just fantasy tvs not even shows just the tvs yeah (laughs) (laughs) um you know there's the big ones like star wars and lord of the rings absolutely just consumed anything buffy the vampire slayer or charmed or um stargate sg1 was a huge one for me growing up like um amanda tapping's character sam was my big idolization growing up um just as a you know a very intelligent nerdy woman who completely owned her environment and herself and at that time like at that age that was just um a big like a big role model and and when I I got to meet Amanda a couple of years ago not not like just at a comic-con not like I work with her or something like that like things like that are like the dream tier dream level tier stuff um but yeah uh like uh meeting her was just class um but yeah uh I wouldn't necessarily say that those things have necessarily driven me, but they've definitely helped shape the person that I am today. Um, and, and the way I try to operate myself just professionally and personally. Cool. And Kitty, what are your current geeky pastimes? Um, geeky pastimes. Yeah. I find it really hard to focus right now uh, on most things. I, I want to start a new game and I'm, I'm really struggling uh so my but we find it we have an old computer in our house that my partner's turned into an actual server so we've been playing minecraft online on our own server with friends amazing that's my kind of dirty talk that you're saying right there (laughs) we have our own server and i'm like ooh. (laughs) Um, yeah uh, that and just a lot of tv i watched i watched all of she-ra from the beginning again uh from from season one the, the the netflix one not the old one um i started yeah just watching a lot of tv i'm still i'm still trying to finish the the final fantasy 7 remake um i'm not sit not finish it i have finished it i've been going for platinum um mm-hmm. and i just have like one more level that i need to do and i need to there's one really horrific boss fight in chapter 14 or 15 i think it is uh, in Hojo's lab, I'm still trying to defeat that. But aside from that, I've completed everything else in the game. But it, I'm just—I don't know—I'm struggling getting back to it. Maybe because it's—it's at the point where it's just the most difficult fight left, oh. and I'm like, I know it's gonna like hurt me as much as I'm going to enjoy it. So I've just been putting it off. Uh, I started a—I started a new TV show the other day called uh, Dark. Dark Matter, is it called? Or Black Matter, is it called? I can't remember. Anyway, it looks like something straight out of the 90s. Nice. And I hate watched the first episode, but then the rest of it's actually got genuinely good. So I'm like, (laughs) the show might actually be amazing. (laughs) What do you mean it's not good because it comes out of the 90s? Right? I started calling all the women doll face that I was like, oh, God. (laughs) Can you be bothered? But then, uh, then, uh, then it because everyone on the ship has woken up and they've lost their memories so nobody knows who they are Ooh. that's the whole premise of the show and it kind of just as as uh as uh it kind of unfolds it's just really horrible stereotypes that unfold um but then the second episode is kind of like i didn't hate that episode and then the third <laughs> episode is like oh okay this show actually this the script writing all of a sudden got really good like 
Nice. So there you go. 90s are overhyped. 80s kid. You're an 80s kid. Well, Tom might agree to that, but I mean. Yeah, I don't know. It sounds like a show that Tom would like. I'm like I genuinely, I thought I was going to hate it. and I, But I decided that I wanted to hate watch it because, you know, I need another Smallville in my life. Uh, <laughs> or another Green Lantern or another flipping Flash. Oh, my God. Green Lantern? You Are we talking about the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern? No, no, the series. I like the series that and the Flash. Just it, like I don't know if you ever watched Smallville back in the day. I watched the all ten seasons. Anyway, I'm getting off track. That those are my geeky pastimes <laughs> right now. I don't think I have anything else that's super geeky. I'm reading a really nice book right now called Caliban and the Witch. Uh, I'm okay. part of a. I, I joined a book club uh, that basically Caliban and the Witch is a nonfiction novel written about. The, the witch hunts of like the 15th, 16th, 17th century and how the taking the world from the feudal era to uh, uh, capitalism is is how it was built on the back of killing all those women. So it's very serious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if you can call it geeky, but um, it's, it's definitely nerdy. <laughs> uh, but it's really fascinating. It's the whole book is... is is very interesting um, and very academic. It's so hard to read. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's taking me a long time. Oh, it's, it sounds like quite a deep topic. Um, so Katie, what is the geeky thing we're talking about today? Women in indie game development. <laughs> I believe. There we go. <laughs> Amazing. So if someone hasn't noticed yet, Kitty is working in the indie game industry. I mean, I don't know if people... Am I? Are you? Sorry. <laughs> oh, shit. Did nobody tell you? <laughs> I'm wrong. I have to check my notes. Hang on. <laughs> yes. So that's what we're talking about. Talking about uh, one of the other people, I have I have two mentors. So Des is my first mentor and number one mentor. But yeah, the, the other mentor that I reached out to a couple of years after uh, is Brenda Romero. Because uh, she moved to Ireland in Galway a couple of years ago with John um, and she does she was she would come up to Belfast and do talks and so I was like will you please also mentor me that would be great thanks <laughs> uh, and so she said yes uh, which was really surprising to me because I wouldn't have said yes if I was her I wouldn't have said yes if I was Des either but he said yes I don't understand you people so but whatever um, <laughs> But her, like, you know, she would obviously get asked all the time, what's it like being a woman in indie games? And she's like, well, I wouldn't know. Like, what's it like being a man in indie games? <laughs> sort of thing. Um, I guess it's one of those things is that I think particularly, like, it's not anything, you, I'm sure you know the same. It's not really anything you necessarily think about all the time. You just, you get, you know, you get on with your work and you get it done. Um, but there's there's definitely times where I've noticed like interesting situations where it's actually made a difference. For example, times when I go to certain where, where maybe I'll go to a conference and people will like, I I'm a gregarious person and I'm quite loud anyway, but like people might know who I am because like, I've had somebody say to me in the past that they knew, they knew who I was before they met me literally on the basis that I was a woman in games. Okay. And I was like, what do you mean? And they're like, Oh, because you're a unicorn. And I was like, awesome I'm going to take that that and make it positive and make it work for me but at the same time that's really fucked up Mm, (laughs) I 
hope I'm allowed to swear. Yes. <laughs> um, and then there's other times where, and I, thankfully, I'm really lucky that I haven't had this happen that often. But there was one project I worked on where there I worked with a with a programmer with a guy who was incredibly misogynist. misogynist. Oh, great! And anytime he was just a bit of an asshole in general, but he would like lie through his teeth all the time. I had I find that I had to use the trick where I had to trick him into thinking that things were his idea. I know, and I never thought I would have to do that in my life. Like I don't I've never done it with a partner. I've never done it with anybody guy that I know because like those are not the people that I surround myself with. But with this guy, I genuinely had to like feed him things so that he would come around and be like, Oh, what if we do this? And I'm like, that's a great idea. just to get shit done because if I came up with it or if I said it he would just he'd either ignore me or he just wouldn't do it like Mm -hmm. he'd say he'd do it and then next week it wouldn't be done whereas if I did it this way he would do it and it's just it's sad (laughs) it's sad um but thankfully that hasn't happened that much like in general um particularly actually in Northern Ireland um Northern Ireland's a fantastic place to be a dev uh most people that I know and most companies that I know there are just great solid people and there's I feel like a much better gender diversity than there is more like other places in other like little sections of the industry around the world um so that's just yeah it's just a nice a nice place to be where everybody gets on and for the most part not entirely Mm. but those are conversations not on camera for sure (laughs) I mean from the like the peripheral of the Northern Irish community like it does seem like a pretty nice community um and from my perspective like I've been really pleased to see how many women go to like the the meetups and everything I'm like this it seems like a a much more diverse area uh, than like a lot of companies that we hear about especially in North America yeah yeah like I think it it does become a problem whenever you've got bigger companies that are more focused more focused on profits than they are on their people mm-hmm. um uh and yeah wage disparity and stuff like that and just general crunch is an issue um but yeah I think Northern Ireland in general because it's such a small place as well everybody talks mm. and like I still even now like I still talk with some of my old uh, clients and bosses uh, and we, because I love the gossip, <laughs> and so do they. Like uh, one of the guys always comments, you know, messages me and is like, "Here, do you want to hear the buzz?" And I'm like, "Yes, I do." <laughs> like we all love a good bitch. Um, so everybody knows everything that goes on, and yeah, people just don't really. They may not necessarily out and out say anything, but they don't. They they'll they'll basically just not work with people again or whatever else if they know that they're shitty to work with or mm. that they treat people shitty like I've, if I find out somebody's the kind of person that they don't pay people or they may pay, mess people around with in that kind of way or whatever then like I take it as a personal vendetta <laughs> to make sure that um, people get looked after A get paid B that person doesn't carry on with that shenanigans because it's not it's not acceptable if you don't, I don't understand how people think that it's a great idea to not pay your employees. The, the, I think they take the money for themselves. I was working in companies like this as well, not in the gaming no. industry, obviously. But like, I'm like, that is how you keep people motivated by not giving them any money and by asking them constantly to, to, well, not get any and 
<laughs> yeah. Like it should be something that your employees should never think about yeah. and never worry yeah. about. Um, I had one boss that I had to remind him to pay me every single month. Oh. And then I, I went on holiday for two weeks and I came back and he said he wasn't going to pay me for the holiday. And I was like, well, that's very illegal. And here's why. And he's like, wow. right, well, I can either pay you this now or I can pay you half and then you can find your wage from the budget. So what? basically he wanted me to fiddle the numbers to find my own wage. And I was like, no, you're just going to pay me and I'm going to leave. Oh, Wow. <laughs> And I left and I was unemployed. That was my first job in the industry, actually. Oh, um, what an entrance. Right? And I left and I was I was unemployed for about, oh God, a month or two, I want to say. And then and then I uh, took on my next role. And it was and I was with that company for two and a half years. And then on and off, because they were just really good, really good team, really good uh, director. Um, yeah. And then was fine after that. But yeah, that first entry was, it was interesting. That was, that was, oh, I have many stories. I'm surprised that it didn't like put, put you off of the industry in general, because they had something that could easily happen. Like you associate your first experience with the entire industry kind of. Yeah. So I'd come off the back of working in television for four years before I came into games. So, and the television industry can be pretty cutthroat and very stressful. Like as much as crunch is prevalent in, in games, like I would be going on location, working two weeks at a time, 15 hour days for two weeks in a row. Like it, it was extremely hard work and extremely high pressure work um, that would come and go at the drop of a hat. So although it was a shitty uh shitty uh start to my career in that sense um it was still an, an improvement um that being said about a year later the same company came back to me begging me to come back <laughs> wow. right because in six months I'd done such a good job and they and they were kind of they really really needed me and I I had so much satisfaction saying no oh uh, yeah I can <laughs> yeah. deal you with that one yeah I believe that so how did you make that transition from television into games? Yeah, so that was interesting. Um, so I actually, my degree is in web development. Uh, and then whenever I graduated, I worked in web development for exactly one month full time. <laughs> and, then right. I, and then I got a job in TV. <laughs> um, because I'd, I'd done uh, an A-level in um in film studies and and produced uh in in my final year i produced a lot of videos for a company and, and did a lot of commercials and and focused on like high quality informational like um shorts and based off that um there was a company that was was interested in the fact that that i less about the actual work that i produced and more about how detail oriented i was mm -hmm. in in that sense so they brought me on as a junior researcher. I worked with them for four years up to an assistant producer. And then I just, without knowing what I was going to do next, I left and decided to try and figure out what I was going to do next. And um, just knowing that it wasn't ever going to be TV again mm. uh, because of the effect it was having on my physical and mental health and my social life just was didn't exist. Um And then I saw, I actually, I had just started dating my partner at the time that lived in Derry. So I would be like traveling down to Derry all the time. And there was this big event on tech 
culture festival that was on and there was a games company there that was looking for a junior programmer and I was like I could be I could get back into programming (laughs) can't be that much different from web Mm -hmm. surely (laughs) so right whilst I had been in in tv I had done a master's at the same time for about two years and I one of my lectures was the guy who owned the company nice so I went to him and I was like, look, I'm thinking about this, but I'm I'm just wondering, is there a career in this? Is is this a good thing to do? And he was like, well, why don't you come and work for me as a producer? And it's one of those things where looking back, I'm like, how could you not have known that game development had producers? Of course they do. <laughs> uh, but at the time I was like, games need producers? <gasps> yeah. Like, I'd never, it had never entered my head and really before this working in games because it just I had no idea what the entry was I had no idea like any of the ins and outs of the industry there there wasn't really any information um and so I just it was never anything I thought I was going to do and if anything that's worked to my favor because working in games being somebody who loves games and and is and has a real connection with them because of the influence they had in my early life means that I am passionate about it Mm -hmm. But the fact that it wasn't necessarily the thing that I planned to do from the beginning means that I'm not going to, it's not like I'm passionate, but I'm not going to break myself over it either. Like it's a career, it's a job. Um, And I think it's better to look at that way because I think some people who come into it thinking, you know, kind of dewy-eyed or dewy-eyed, dewy-eyed, that that don't really realize it's like everything they don't really realize the amount of work that actually goes into it necessarily like I had that once where somebody approached me about the videos I'd done in in university and they asked me how I did it because they wanted something easy to do for their final year and I was like oh sweet summer child don't do it (laughs) I got very insulted because I was like how dare you this took so much work um when I explained it, I laid out for them everything that I did, and they were like, "Oh, I thought this was going to be easy." Yeah, fuck you sideways. It's kind of the same in games to a certain extent. So going into it, like being somebody that that just you know had had done the hard work of TV and moved into games, um, yeah, I, I, I find it extremely fulfilling and fun. Um, now, obviously, that kind of went the way it went but like that experience that I had I remember sitting in in my very first development meeting whenever I'd started in the new company and kind of sitting there realizing that if I hadn't been in the room several critical critical mistakes would have been made in development because they just the people who were in that room didn't actually really know the games community Mm -hmm. and 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 like hadn't really actually played a lot of the games that I had played so I was able to point out mistakes in in their logic and that made me realize that I was in the right room, <laughs> basically. Um, so yeah, that even though that kind of contract went the way it went, um, uh, for me, it still showed me that I had made the right choice. And um, I was a little bit dubious. Like I didn't do a lot of crunch or anything, and I didn't take a lot of shit in that job, mostly because I'd done it in TV and I and I just couldn't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. And I refused to. So um, I think that went a long way in in just me standing up for myself but I did leave that role being a bit trepidatious about whether or not that was going to be my experience within the entire industry Mm. you know um uh but thankfully the next couple of roles I got over the next couple of years were just I worked with fabulous people on great projects 
I did burn myself out once, but it wasn't necessarily because of anybody of any of the companies. It was my own bad planning. (laughs) Um, But I think from then on, I've been extraordinarily lucky that I've worked with fantastic people. Um, But I do think that there's something to be said about that being in the indie scene specifically. I think if I'd went for AAA, I might've had an easier time uh, in terms of the experience that I would have gained and the and and working directly with people um, working in Northern Ireland where everybody's kind of new and scrappy and doesn't necessarily know what they're mm-hmm. doing and that definitely involved um, some issues in terms of how quickly I built my experience and and maybe how efficiently I did my job which is why I reached out to people like Des who kept me right <laughs> um, but yeah like some of the horror stories I hear out there I thankfully have mostly avoided so I think that's a general phenomenon of also small companies because they need to figure their own shit out eventually and some do it better some have great people that can lead really well and they can build something amazing and some just think they can but really can't and then that makes it really complicated for everyone who's also employed so that's just that was a little convoluted, but <laughs> the question. Absolutely. Yeah, it did. <laughs> um, so what would a normal day look like for you other than starting at 6 a.m. these days? <laughs> oh, God, it's all over the place right now. Um, there is no such thing as a normal day for me at the minute. It's kind of weird. Um, the way I'm trying to organize myself at the minute is I'm trying to keep myself to four days a week. I uh, I am a big believer in the four-day work week um, there's a lot of self-organization that I have to do but generally I will get up roughly it de- it depends there was a couple of weeks there but I where I was just getting up at nine o'clock I couldn't get up at six last week I, I, I managed to get back to six o'clock again um, uh, but I this week okay let's take this week as an example uh it's so hard to say what my normal day looks like because it's it's always so weird um I'll get up in the morning I check my emails I check slack I check discord I check bitrix which is one I'm now having to use (laughs) for somebody else and that is yeah I'd never heard of it before um maybe it's best to start with Sunday or Friday but anyway because normally I have a like a to-do list where the first thing I'll do is I will space out all the things that I have to do in that week Mm -hmm. so that might meetings with people organizing schedules um doing some web work and I'll slot it into my to-do list in like a calendar form to say okay this is when I'm focusing on these things um one of the hardest thing working with multiple people is just a making sure that you're keeping on top of everything and not letting anything slip through the nets but also not thinking about everything all the time because if you did you would drive yourself absolutely mad um, that's normally the first thing I'll do, like either on Sunday or Monday to kind of organize that out. But every day I will sort of do a bit of a check-in first when I first come on with my emails and, and communication tools, just to make sure that nothing's come up, um, that I need to take care of or need to action. Um, and then the rest of my day will either move into having those communications with the companies, like the, the, the three production roles that I have at the minute just are literally involves me checking in with them to make sure that they're on task and doing what they say they're going to do. Um, 
making sure that they remember to do the things that they said they were going to do um, and also organizing their schedule and their budget. Um, the one team that I just started off with recently, we're at the stage where we're trying to pull together a full schedule, which is really tough at this stage because it's a kind of a long production um, time. Like it's about a year and a half. So you're trying to um, glean as much detail from something that's really quite nebulous and doesn't have a lot of detail or form yet. So I'm doing that with them. Um, and then that usually, uh, then I'll have my lunch. <laughs> and then um, that everyone will be, everyone will have knocked off by then. So in the afternoons, that's usually when I'll be doing more of the web work on stuff that doesn't need me to communicate with people as much. And then I usually knock off by, it depends on the day. For for last week we'll, with COVID and stuff, um, I've kind of been working like till about two or three normally mm-hmm. um before that it would be full days but yeah at the minute it's been less mm-hmm. which is fine because I find it I find by about lunchtime my head starting to fry mm-hmm. <laughs> at the minute um which is fine uh, my work at the minute is mostly organization and that's self-organization and then organization of other people I'm so impressed <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I thought a games producer did, but it wasn't it wasn't that. So that was really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I talk to a lot of people all the time, and I make a lot of schedules and a lot of spreadsheets and a lot of budgets. Yeah. So I think that's actually a really good uh, point. Bring up like, oh, that sounds like Tom's dream job. So like, let's just pull that around. And what is the actual ratio of like men to women in indie games? The last time I heard, the ratio was thirty three percent women to. 60 or 70 percent men um somewhere in there uh I don't know that's a census uh Mm -hmm. thing so I'm not sure how true that is uh now but I do think that the ratio has been improving over the last couple of years it's still not where as good as it could be I mean Mm -hmm. compared to other industries that's a number where I'm like not too bad yeah like yeah others are way worse and they're also like also more techie companies and all i'm like 33 seems like a decent i mean obviously it's not 50 but it's like already yeah yeah and it's climbed a lot over the last couple of years and in like northern ireland i feel like that's probably even better uh Mm. i feel like there's a pretty good ratio what i do find interesting though is that the ratio of female ceos or directors or leaders isn't that high Mm. Okay. Uh, like even in Northern Ireland, there's two women that I know are either director or co-directors of their companies mm. and that's it. And that's out of about 30 companies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So that's, that's fairly, fairly low. Um, but I know that there's a lot of diversity, um, at least in gender, um, in terms of like racial diversity and stuff. It's shit yeah. <laughs> in Northern Ireland anyway, but, um, oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's awful i mean I, I don't think that it just is specifically in northern ireland i don't think that that's a oh, no. game development problem like there is just there's not a lot of diversity in this country so yes yes that that's it. Uh, that was going to be uh my other point uh northern ireland is very homogenous mm-hmm. um i think i was very pleased to see at the last games and i meet up that the entire room wasn't white yeah. um and that's the first time i'd seen that 
I, I, it's something that I've been thinking a lot about before. And so whenever I saw that there was a bit more diversity, funnily though, they were, they were all animation people from the animation industry because <laughs> the animation industry in Northern Ireland is huge. Mm-hmm. Is it? It's huge. Yeah. It's a, like a huge, like a massive, and like even one of the, the company that I worked with was two animators that had come from England to Northern Ireland to work in animation and then had left to start their own games company. Oh. <laughs> so um yeah so the people who who were at that it doesn't so there's they bring over a lot of people from england um and then a lot of people from those in those animators here who were in england are from all over the world Mm. um so yeah i find it i find it funny that (laughs) i just find it amusing that that they were there from the animation industry but obviously were there they were there because they're interested in games Mm. which Mm -hmm. is cool like if they're there they're already interested so we should be trying to steal them yeah (laughs) personally <laughs> but yeah that's um you're already fighting the numbers because it's northern ireland to begin with um and then like the games industry is such a smaller sect of that again but um yeah mm. yeah it's a, it's a phenomenon that's based on more than just the industry i think like as you say the, the yeah. country itself is not very diverse and it's just yeah sometimes really tricky and it's even like you know, one of my best friends growing up was a girl called Kudzai from South Africa. And whenever we were in high school, I remember that they would try and like, like to try and like make, like it was one of those things where they would send her out to all these like anti-racism things all the time. And like, she just didn't want to go. Mm. She wanted to live her life. Mm. (laughs) So instead, she, she would force me to go with her all the time um and i would just like she'd happily just be like kitty you do it <laughs> and i'd be like i really shouldn't it should be you just like no i don't want to um because it becomes that thing where you know it's kind of like the opposite where she'd be highlighted and 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 okay yeah maybe she wouldn't be treated badly but she wouldn't necessarily just be treated as another person mm. that that could just live her life and enjoy herself or whatever so i think she ended up moving to england in the end because although in Northern Ireland, she wasn't necessarily treated terribly. Um, although I can't really speak to her experience that much, just you know what I know of the time that I spent with her. But yeah, just being singled out yeah. still, rather than just you know given opportunities, like because she was never actually given any opportunities that would help her. It was just yeah. the, trying to make them look yeah. good. Uh, yeah, she ended up leaving. So mm-hmm. like. Yeah, she left Northern Ireland. Like she didn't like disappear completely. She still yeah. exists. She's having a great time. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so we're fighting against. It's weird the the kind of yeah things that that they're fighting against as well. Like, but there's that, and then the obvious side that Northern Ireland is quite racist as well. Yeah, but. but- yeah, that's a whole thing we kids. It's like, yeah. But just on that topic, um, yeah. how do you personally think that we, what what can we do to encourage more diversity in the communities that we're in? In terms of like the games industry and stuff? Games industry, the geek industry. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I feel like I'm not the person who should necessarily be answering this question mm-hmm. <laughs> um, to start with. Uh, but like, if I was answering this question, about gender right and if I was saying uh from a woman's perspective of how we could get more uh women in the industry let's say the first thing that I would say is let's focus on keeping the women we already have Mm -hmm. 
Um, let's focus on making the industry a better place with more um, with more fairness, more transparency, and and just better working conditions in general for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, if you're trying to get more people into the industry, like I would, if you're trying to get more women in the industry, I would say go to schools and start there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like a two prong approach of keeping the women we already have and, and, and going to the places where the people who could potentially come into the industry are there. And so if I was to flip that into, you know, a racial standpoint, um, like if I see it through that funnel, I think the first thing is the same, like keep the people who are already Mm -hmm. there, like diversity does nothing but make us stronger. It makes projects stronger. It makes teams stronger. Um, and so making sure that we create an environment that people want to stay in, mm-hmm. that they don't want to leave because they're being treated like crap or being treated differently. Like, oh, there's a, there's, yeah, there's a couple of people that I know that work in, in, in games companies in England that are from all over the world that work in the UK. And some of the stories they tell me are just awful. Like, I mean, like if a, if a woman's being treated terribly, they're, like they're being treated just as terrible unless you're a cis white dude you're being treated like mm-hmm. shit and I'm so like I'm, it's terrible that I feel lucky that I haven't really experienced that quite as much um it sh- I shouldn't feel lucky they shouldn't be treated terribly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> creating making sure that there's that, that those environments where they are just treated like decent human beings and decent workers needs to be the first point of call um but also, you know, reaching out to different to different communities and areas of people that aren't necessarily already involved in the games industry and and working with them, educating them. Like, you know, how often do you hear about, you know, video games coming out of South Africa or or Brazil or, you know, different voices like, you know, I've heard enough Nordic tales. <laughs> I've got enough, you know, Greek gods. Yeah. Like let's hear stories now and and it's it's actually making that effort to to reach out to them I think are the are the two the two prongs the two steps that being said I think that that question coming from somebody from one of those backgrounds would would know way better than I would Mm -hmm. what exactly those steps Mm -hmm. are um but I think obviously for that to happen it needs to be all of us Mm -hmm. that work together to do it like it can't be just them yeah um so that's my opinion anyway that's my two cents yeah I definitely agree um and just on your your note there of bringing more women into the industry I love what um another northern Irish um indie dev is doing uh Kiva she's started the the girls game lab um oh yeah she does that in England doesn't she she works with Chucklefish yes yeah, um, where they like go around and basically educate girls on how to make their own games. I know it's so cool. It's such a good initiative, and she's done so well as well. Um, I know that in Northern Ireland, we worked with STEMETs. If you've ever heard of them, I haven't. Um, STEMETs uh, are an organization that specifically tries to encourage uh, young girls to get into STEM fields. Um, but we kind of latched on to the back of that. When I worked with Games NI, we latched on to the back of that and worked with them to try and work with uh, uh, girls kind of in, in school leaver years to encourage them. Um, it wasn't nowhere near on the scale of what Kiva's doing. Um, Kiva has 
uh, done some fantastic work and I'd love to see her operations like go global. Mm. I think that would be so fantastic. Um, but yeah, we did try and do some stuff in Northern Ireland. Um, obviously, I only operated for two years before I moved on uh, and then went traveling the world. <laughs> but there's something to be said as well. Like I feel like making the industry a, a better place for everyone to work in that holds on to its diversity um, is a job for everyone. But I also like say if you're a woman or, or if you're some, a person of color working in the industry and you've been treated shit for the past five years, like it's not your, it, your like, it's not your job. No. Your job is to be an employee and do whatever role you've been hired for. It, it's not up to you to continue to fight that fight either. You should not be expected to as well. So it's like, it's not black and white. It's, it's, I know it's more complicated. Um, but yeah, I feel like those who can and have the energy and the will should do work and, and try to come together. But at the same time, like, you know, if all the energy you have is to look after yourself, then you should do that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like, also really hard to be the person who always drives the wheel forward when you're the only one. Like you you have your mm -hmm. own struggles to deal with already. You as the oppressed one can't be the one who's like, but I need this and I need this and I need this. It's on us yeah. to be like, what, what do, you do you need and and, yeah. and how can we how can we make it happen and how 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 can we not be dicks <laughs> when we're obviously yeah, we yeah, are exactly. in that, that, that moment. Yeah, because like I think it's easy for us to assume. You know, like say for example, I would I would assume that I'm the sort of person that fights for justice and diversity and whatever. And and for me, it's kind of like I try and treat every person with respect, and and I just take that as a given. I can't assume that I'm doing yeah. it right by by saying that that's what I do. That doesn't mean that I should take for granted that I could be doing something mm -hmm. wrong, and that I shouldn't still ask and and try to do the best that I can. Like I think the worst thing you could do is assume. Like especially, there's definitely a folly in thinking in the thinking of. I'm a good person and I'm doing this. Yeah. It's like, okay, you, you know, if you're getting it wrong, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. Yeah. You're human. That's fine. But you should always strive to, you should always just assume that you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and just try your best to be better, I guess. Mm. Um, and it's not a yeah. personal insult. If you've done something like you can oh. fuck, fuck shit up, right. And you can just, I did that very recently. I uh, I had a big shout out on Twitter a while ago because I I helped organize uh, some of the Games NI awards and it's just local run awards. And I sort of shouted out. I was like, "Why is there not a Canadian one? Let's do it!" And I linked a couple of people and I linked a local organization here in Montreal that's that's um, trying to encourage women in the industry and. Uh, multiple people came back and was like no you've done this very wrong and you've done this and you've done whatever and I thought I was just being excited and just being whatever and 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 so I spoke to them privately and was like okay like I'm you know help me understand if that's okay and and you know they they explained the situation in more detail and and then you know I a apologize for bringing that out and, and making that awkward but equally thank them for letting me know mm. Mm -hmm. Because I don't like I am somebody genuinely who I, I'm very organized and I try to be thorough and I try to think things through, but I am very excitable. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I get very like Wah! sometimes. Uh and and so, you know, 
I, I want, I prefer when people, it's part of being a producer as well. I feel like it's important to be able to take on constructive criticism mm-hmm. from people and be able to give people constructive criticism and know how to do that in a, in a, in a manner and be approachable so that people can come and tell you, you know, things that are bothering them or blocking them or, or otherwise making their life or their work harder. Mm-hmm. Um, and so being able to accept that and be like, you know, for and being for being people being able to tell you when you necessarily haven't done things uh, right is incredibly important. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was just this year. So, <laughs> wow, nothing else happened this year. <laughs> <laughs> It happened just this year, um, and uh, like I hope, I hope, I hope I always stay that way. Like I don't know if there's going to be some year where I just like get tired of being told that I'm wrong. <laughs> I hope that I'm always open to to being told that sort of stuff because I feel like it it does nothing but make you a better person, mm, yeah, and, and a better ally as yeah. well, for sure. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I I agree. Um, and like Scott says in in chat, to fail upwards and yes, I totally agree. Like if you're going to fail, learn something from it and move forward and be better. Mm. Yeah, like, and like yes, you failed, but you haven't completely failed. Mm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Uh, what kind of jobs can former teachers get in the gaming industry? I wonder. <laughs> Whatever you want. <laughs> what do you want to do? <laughs> uh, the thing about games industry and the thing, like uh, a while ago, somebody asked it like in a Slack. They wanted to know how all of the producers had got into the roles that they'd gotten into. And you know what? Like, it's very rare I hear the same path twice. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll like, I would, some people come from university um, you'll find other people come from different places like sometimes you'll find community mm-hmm. managers uh, end up being producers or QA often move into community managers or not community managers producers or yeah they do go into community management as well like you'll find those roles there's a lot of soft skills or a lot of interchangeable uh, skills that that really are uh, cross-disciplinary and um, like a lot of the skills I had from from tv were exactly the same skills i needed mm. in games like they were very transferable it just wholly depends on what you want to do uh i guess so teachers can be whatever they dream to be <laughs> i think that <laughs> whatever when people have these questions is also because from the outside you have no idea how this industry even works like you see the game in the end and then you can imagine like a few jobs right but then that's really a few jobs that are might be obvious yeah okay you have some that do the animation and that that it all comes to life in some kind of way and then you have those who write the story but that's not it but from the outside it's so hard to see what are even what is even part of it all so i think that's why people are asking would i even fit there how could i even start there and what could i even do because i'm not a 3d animator i can't do that stuff and then i am not the proper writer so i can't do this so that's basically automatically means that this industry is not for you but then we see it's there's yeah there's a lot of need for a lot of different stuff and it doesn't help that it is a very competitive industry Mm. like You know, it doesn't help that you do have a lot of people who are very passionate about it that, you know, you, you'll have thousands of people going for the same role sometimes. I feel like the way I have entered games and the way I have operated in games has been very, very um, kind of entrepreneurial in a way, not the word I'm looking for, but um, like, oh, scrappy. I don't know. I don't know what the word is. 
Um, but like I've maybe I can count the jobs on one hand that I have had that I've gained from interviews. Yeah. The majority of the jobs that I have had have been from networking, from people that I've known through word of mouth, um, just by my reputation, mm-hmm. by the work that I've produced. I used to teach at the Belfast Met for a little while. I taught there. Uh, I taught games business and I taught, taught games design and games narrative. The best advice that I could give them is if you want a games in the industry, if you want if you want a job in the industry, make games. Yeah. Like, and it doesn't matter if you can't do all the skills. Get together with other people who want to make games that fill in the skills that you don't mm-hmm. have and make games together that you can show what you did. And that might not necessarily be like you might not be a programmer, you might not be, uh, you might not be a three D artist, you might be somebody like me who's a producer. I don't know. There's an anime right now that I've been watching called Hands Off My Etudoken, <laughs> which is basically a, an anime about three girls who start uh, an, an anime club and they start making animation. And they have two of the girls. One of the girls is the director and also a, a, a drawer. And the other girl is an animator. And the third girl is a producer. And it's just them together. And it's such a good show. It's really, really good. Like, it's t- basically slice of life. But, like, that producer character is the absolute best character. Like, she just takes no shit and just, like, gets it done. And uh, it's also, as another random thing, it's set in a post-climate crisis. Oh, wow. Climate change, the climate change crisis has happened. The world has been completely changed. And it's not, it's never explicitly said, it's just the background of the show. It's just the background setting of where they live. But it's just, there's something about watching it that kind of makes you feel a little bit, a little bit better about, you know, the fact that, yeah, okay, everything is going to be shit for a while, but like life will continue on as well and how humans will come together and keep making that happen. It's really good show. Anyway, um, but even just doing that, like even if you're not sure what your role would be and, and maybe you are more of an organizational role, still getting together in a team and using those skills to make a game and then having that in your portfolio to be able to show that to potential mm-hmm. employers will put you a league above a lot of other students say uh that are going for the same jobs mm-hmm. particularly if you've done it outside of your class but scott in chat is uh encouraging game jam game jams um and the site itch.io which um is an awesome site actually <laughs> i love it um i just i bought their uh racial anti-racism Same. diversity bundle there it's gone over a thousand games now <laughs> what or, Seriously, yeah, because it was 742 games when I bought it, and Tom told me today that it's like over a thousand. And what yeah. have they upped their target to for donations? Was it five million? Nice, I think? wow, that's fantastic! Yeah, yeah. And I, uh, I do the Global Games Jam last year, was the first year I hadn't done it in four years. Um, I used to do it every single year, um, just because a it's a great experience, it's always good fun. Um, and B, it it really does give you, it gives you the great experience and then it gives you something to show at the mm-hmm. end of it. Mm-hmm. And it might not be something great, but it's a great way to put your skills to the test. And especially if you're studying or you're looking to get into games, like just showing that you mm-hmm. can do it. And like, I'm a producer. What do I go do a game jam to do? <laughs> like, 
Um, but there's always something. There's always something that needs to be done. Like even the last one I went to, um, that now that one was actually my idea. That was the first time where uh, they picked my idea and I ran with it. So I did all of the script writing and all of the organization and cut out some of the elements, find signs for it. Find like there's always. There's always some, I, somebody described a producer to me once as somebody who fills in the cracks yeah. in development, mm-hmm. and keeps, keeps everybody yeah. together. And so like one time I did a doc, talk where I explained what a producer does and I put up a slide of about 30 things that I had in order of like most often to least often, but things I'd been asked to do in production. And it would range from, you know, making a video to, to recording scratch track for a thing I did motion capture once wow I was awful (laughs) (laughs) but it didn't matter like it was just testing and stuff but like you know up there with with budgeting and scheduling and and team communication and one-on-ones and like you do like that is one thing I really love about this particular position especially in indies is that you do a little bit of everything day is never the same twice think what's important from what you generally have been saying is that you can't just wait for something to hop onto your plate. We had Thiston who was doing a World of Warcraft podcast for I don't know how long and has been then kind of made her way into some kind of games industry and now works for Blizzard, right? So it's just that the engagement that no. like it's not just it won't fall into your lap. And mm-hmm. no. You need to create your own opportunities as much as you can. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think it can kind of seem a bit overwhelming at Mm. first. You know what I mean? It just seems like, oh my goodness, this huge nebulous thing. And instead the, you know, it should be starting small and starting with the things that you can do right now, which is you can bid up like game maker or twine or like some dopey little thing that doesn't require much coding and you can just start typing things into it. Mm. Like, I think one of the first one of the first games I ever made I actually made in university and I made it in Flash Ooh. and I made it I made a short circuit escape the room game. Nice. <laughs> nice. Where you played as Johnny Five and you had to escape a police facility without getting caught, otherwise you would be dismantled for scientific research. Nice. That's amazing. That <laughs> and it was awesome. so dopey, and it looks terrible, and it plays terrible, and I've stolen the puzzles from like really obvious things, but. <laughs> It was, I learned a lot doing it. Like I learned a lot about user experience mm. in that when I did it and I got people to play it and I saw firsthand, oh, I didn't expect the user to do that. So like that, yeah. that teaches you yeah. a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's the best way to learn sometimes. So yeah. And Tom said in chat there, the new game on PS4 dreams where <laughs> you like actually make your own games like in it and then go play yeah. other people's. Yeah, no, I think uh, Dreams is is such a class thing. And and some of the things people have made in Dreams, some of them are terrible. <laughs> a lot of them are terrible. Let's be perfectly honest. I don't know if you've ever watched uh, uh, Dunkey, video game Dunkey. He's done a couple of videos on Dreams yeah. uh, where he's played some of the really, really <laughs> that are just so fun to watch. But then you look at some of the other ones that people have made that are just like, holy crap, like professional mm-hmm. level stuff. Like Swords of, is it Sword of Toshido or what's that one called? I can't remember. There's one game that I saw that somebody had remade that's like a samurai one that's just mind-blowing. How good it was or how good it looked. Awesome. Wow. Amazing. I'm excited. <laughs> I mean, I know my I know. games would suck if I did them. That's why I'm not even playing Mario Maker because I'm like, 
But it's, it's you never you ever see those pictures of people who are artists and they do like a before and after of how how what they used to be and where yeah. they are now and mm-hmm. um like is it Malcolm Gladwell that t- said the line that if you create something and you don't like it that doesn't mean that you're not a good designer or a good artist or or a good whatever it means that you've got good taste. And that your skills just aren't at that level. I feel so, like sometimes there's this nebulous idea of of being good at art or whatever. Um, when in reality, it's just like anything else. And it's just practice. And the more you practice, the better you'll get at it. And so if you don't like what you create, it just means that your skill hasn't got to the level that your taste is at. But your taste is killer. I like And you just that. need to keep working. Eventually, Yeah, eventually your skill will reach the level that your taste is already at. So, yeah, just... If it's something that you really wanted to do, it's just like anything. It just takes mm. practice and time and, and learning. Um, and you would eventually get to where you want to be, I think. I like that approach. <laughs> I do too. It's definitely helped me. Like I've been making websites since I was 12 yeah. years old. And I only made a website that I liked two or three years I ago. I mean, let's be <laughs> honest. Nothing will ever compare to the first frame website with a lot of GIFs in it. But the GIFs came back, let's be fair three years ago like uh, yeah I've been making websites a long time and it was literally three years ago where I finished making a website and I was like I don't hate this <laughs> <laughs> like, it took that long yeah. so yeah yeah the web didn't exist when I was 12 all Martin all uh, tester I'm really sorry that you <laughs> yeah. didn't experience it in your kids shoes I got my first computer when I was yeah 14. there's something to be said about like MySpace and and Live Journal and and Bebo and I Neo used to I, I made my first website using Neopets on the Neopets. Oh, I love those. Right, they were Neopets. so cute. Yeah, and you could it, it, it give the best HTML like walkthrough like tutorial that I think even now. Like because it, it was made for kids, so it would give you this HTML tutorial that you could edit your pets page. And it gave you a blank edit page, but you were able to change the entire page. So I was able to make my first web page on Neopets using the Pets page. Nice. That's how I first learned how to use HTML. I learned HTML in LiveJournal. Yes, same. Like we all have those intro things. Yeah. And then we got um, free space with our internet provider. And I made my first uh, website on its own called Tiffis Alcove. And it was all Final Fantasy VII themed. With like, actually, was. I still have the image. I still have the image on DeviantArt, but I refuse to share it because that is a dark hole that I only show people when I'm having a cringe off. Mm. But we should be. <laughs> I mean, maybe not proud of our past, but it's like it made us who we are today. Oh yeah, but I, 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 I like sharing my bad art from my teen years with other artists. Um, so we can be like, but look how bad mine was. That <laughs> was way worse than you. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. so uh-huh. a great time. Okay. Well, I'm going to close up this uh, this wee interview here, Kitty. Is there anything else that you want to share with us? And then we can talk away as long as we want. Uh, mostly just thank you so much for having me on. It's been so much fun. And uh, congratulations on your hype train earlier. That was fantastic. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> But no, yeah, this is this has been fun. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, so can you tell our listeners who haven't joined us here live where they can find you if they want to follow along and hear more from you? 
so yes, you can find me on Twitter, uh, Kitty underscore Crawford. Uh, you can find me on Twitch at KittyGo uh, under slash C. I do have an Instagram, but like I never use it, so don't bother following me. <laughs> Just those two. And, uh, I have a portfolio website as well. Uh, it's literally kittycrawford.co.uk. So if you want to look at some of the stuff I do, if you want to employ me, you can do that nice. too. <laughs> I'm all, no, no, no. I'm busy. I'm too busy. Um, but yeah, no. Uh, if you want to, if anyone ever wants, like anybody here who who does have any more questions or wants any advice or like just wants to to know more about stuff, uh, just reach out to me and I'll always be happy to answer. If you like this episode of Geek Caring, why not leave us an iTunes review? You can also find us on social at Geek Caring and over on geekcaring.com. This show is brought to you by Dragon Powered Studio. Find more at dragonpoweredstudio.com.